Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to another episode of the Revolutionary Podcast. I had a lot of fun preaching the sermon today because, and not just preaching it, but in the study itself, just seeing how amazing God's word is and the truth that's revealed when we learn to zoom in and zoom out. And so there's going to be a continuation of something that we started last week that we're going to pull into this week that's going to help us to understand and know how to grow our faith. And it's a lot of things that we need to be cautious about. I'm telling you, the way that you respond to this message is going to determine a lot. We've kind of found ourselves in a little bit of a mini-series. I don't know if y'all have noticed. We've kind of stumbled upon a little mini-series of how to grow closer to God. Or let me say it different ways. How to mature in your faith. How to grow in your faith. How do you go closer to God? We've kind of found ourselves in that little bit of a mini-series lately. We're really starting from Easter. Right? Easter, we talked about how do you know you're saved, right? Why? Not only the why you need to be saved, but how do you know? And then we've been looking at different examples, right? On what to avoid, what to do, right? Avoid that perfectionist lifestyle that those um, religious leaders that Jesus was constantly after. And even post-Jesus, even there were Christians that still couldn't unhinge that idea of trying to perform for God and, and earn his love. So we talked about avoiding that, and we've been focusing on the last couple of weeks on what to do, right? The positives. Well, today's going to be no different. We're going to also uh, look at both, though. We're going to look at one example of what not to do, which is probably the guarantee you is going to be the one reason why you maybe feel far from God. Or maybe you feel um, like you're not growing as much. It could be this one right here. And then the opposite, what to do so you can do that. So, but in order for you to remember, I'm going to give you all a little bit of a, a little device here as a, not just a preacher, teacher. I'm not doing my job unless you, um, I'm helping you guys to be able to grasp even complex things in simple ways. So I need y'all to finish this sentence for me. Everybody online, you good? Everybody here, you good? I need everybody to finish the sentence for me out loud. Now, this is a very, very basic baseball rule. So the most athletically illiterate person is going to be okay. I guarantee you, you can do this. All right. So everybody okay? Y'all with me? So online, I want you to type it out. In-house, I want you guys to shout it out. Finish this sentence for me. Three strikes and... Hey, look at that. It was easy, right? Three strikes and what? You're out. I'm going to see who did it first online. So today we are going to focus on three strikes in order to figure out how to grow closer to God. You see what I did? You see what I did there? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see my way out. Don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll let myself out. Anyways, all right, I know that was really lame. But anyways, we're going to do that. There's three different strikes that we're going to look at that will help us to figure out how to grow closer in our faith. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 20. So if you have it, you can uh, turn there. We're going to have it on screen for everybody else. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 12. I skipped a lot. So we're going to look at verse 20. So giving everybody a little prequel before we continue on and read there. I want you all to know who that Herod is. Okay, Herod is more officially known as King Herod Agrippa II. All right, there was the first, some of you may be familiar with. King Herod I was the King Herod during the Christmas story, right? The King Herod that wanted to kill baby Jesus and that ended up killing all these other Jesuses, right? Wow, all these other babies, not other Jesuses. That was an interesting phrase there. So King Herod I ends up killing all these other babies in order to kill Jesus. He fails, but he tends to be this very selfish, prideful, self-centered person. He didn't want any other king but himself 
to be worshipped in that region. And so he didn't like the idea of a new king. Well, his grandson, King Herod II, King Herod Agrippa, very similar. And so he's a very self-centered guy. He really wants to focus on him. He doesn't like sharing it. And so we kind of saw that last week where we talked about Herod as he wanted to persecute the church. Why was he wanting to persecute the church? The same reason why his granddaddy wanted to kill Jesus because he didn't want another king. And what are the Christians all promoting around that early time is Jesus is king, Jesus is Lord. So very much like his grandfather, you know, that wanted to kill Jesus and kill the Christian movement before it started, King Herod II, his grandson, was trying to do the same thing. He kills the apostle uh, James, the first apostle to be murdered. And by the way, that wasn't the only Christian. It says that the King's Herod hand came violently on all Christians. And so he really put the heat on. So he kills James, the apostle James, arrests Peter about, and he's going to die the next day because he's trying to play politics with people's lives. That he was doing it to appease his political base. Ooh, y'all like that? Oh, y'all like that? I bet y'all going to like this. Wait till tomorrow. We talked about last week how Peter was delivered. God saved him. God let him out. Herod was so upset. What did the scripture says that his prime target, I mean, oh my gosh, this was so gold for him, gone. And he kills all of the guards who were watching over Peter. And then the story we left off is King Herod went to Caesarea. So now let's pick that story up where we left off. So this is the, to be continued. And now let's look at King Herod. So King Herod, very true to form. He had been very what? Angry. So man, this guy, literally, this, this guy does not know how to have a good day, I guess. He was very angry with the people of Tyre and Saddam. And these two were two um, regions that were annexed uh, into Jerusalem, into Israel. They were not uh, Jewish in nature, but they were dependent on. So they had to pay taxes and tributes to Israel, and Israel ended up, you know, taking care of them. So King Herod was not liking the way these guys were behaving, his subjects. So he is going over there to in investigate this in person. Together, the people of Tyre and Sidon presented themselves before him, King Herod, after winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom. They asked uh, for peace because why? Their country was supplied with food from the king's country. So the winning over is an interesting thing. So the guy Blastus, you know, it sounds like a glorified butler, right? He's in charge of the king's bedroom. But think of uh, Alfred to Batman, all right? Alfred is not just a butler. I mean, Alfred is something more. So Blastus is that kind of a guy. If you are responsible for the king's bedroom in this near Eaton, you know, in this uh, ancient Near Eastern um, culture, this is the most private, you know, secured area the king has. It's his bedroom. And so there's a lot of important things. So if you're in charge of the king's bedroom, uh, you're a trusted person. Does that make sense? Like this isn't just any job. This is like the head of secret, secret service for the president, something like that. And so what did they do? They won him over. What does that mean? They bribed the guy. Remember, they're like, uh-oh, King Herod's not happy with us. We depend on food. We depend on Israel. So we got to calm the king down. So they win over the head of his secret service and they bribe him in order to say, hey, help us to calm things down. Help us to chill, you know, King Herod out. Now, I want you to remember that because that's an important thing leading up to the next thing we're about to read. And so this is their motivation, their desperate self-preservation. So here they go and they say, verse 21. On the appointed day that King Herod had set up to honor Emperor Caesar Claudius for his birthday. On that appointed day, 
dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech. Now, this is not in the Bible, but there is an ancient uh, Jewish historian named Josephus who is a very accurate individual. People love to reference him. And he actually uh, took reference of what happened here. And there's an interesting detail that we have because those royal robes that he had were actually um, man, I totally missed an opportunity to do something. Whatever, I'm just talking out loud. Uh, he totally um, dressed, that royal robe was actually infused with silver. And so literally, could you imagine a coat, a robe that had silver fibers, fibers up in the, the knitting? That's what it was made out of, silver. I mean, he's out here again. Remember King Herod likes the attention, right? We all know those kind of people, right? No matter where you are, it's like the attention. You need the attention. They crave attention all the time, all right? And so that's King Herod. So this is Emperor Caesar's birthday, and he wants to show up outdoing Caesar, all right? It, it, that's like the equivalent of somebody going to a wedding. Let's say you're an invited guest, ladies, whatever, and you go to the wedding, and you show up in a wedding dress, and you're not the one getting married, right? I mean... Yikes, come on now, right? That's the equivalent of what King Herod is doing here. He wants all the attention on himself. And the fact that he's on that royal robe and he's standing outside in that Middle Eastern sun, bro, he must have been just reflecting the sun and shining in an amazing way. Dude was out there like a glorified WWE wrestler. That's what he looked like, all right? Just out there in his royal robes. And he gives this speech. Now look at what happens next. As he gives this speech, all these details matter. The assembled people began to shout. Again, the people of Tyre and Saddam who were trying to, um, you know, calm him down. They say this, it's the voice of a God and not a man. It is the voice of a God and not a man. And so what happens next? At once the angel of the Lord struck King Herod because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. Done. All right. Just that's it. Like, I mean, Luke just goes and just finishes it. Died. Now, that's not the end of the story because Luke, who wrote this, put a but in there. Y'all see the but? It's coming up next. Here's the but. In verse 24, it says, but the word of God flourished and multiplied. After they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned not to Jerusalem, but actually towards, they're coming back um, to Antioch, and they taking back John also called Mark. There's another John Mark. We're going to talk about him uh, later on. But so that's an interesting story. I mean, how do you just bypass the fact that this guy was eaten by worms and died and move on? And by the way, Paul and Barnabas and all this stuff. And so what do we have here, guys? I want you to notice that this is yet another progress report. If you've been with us for the at least a couple of weeks or even months or for sure for the beginning of the year, I've told you that embedded in the book of Acts are like six or seven progress reports. And Luke always ends this chapter with something very similar. And we just read the most recent progress report. And it always ends with the progress report of the church. What is happening in the world? What's going on? And here, what's amazing as we see, despite all the things that King Herod was doing, and what was King Herod trying to do? He was trying to kill that movement. He was trying to destroy the message of Jesus from Jerusalem at the center, at the heart. And in the end, who, who ended up dying? Him. Right? And, and then here's the church continuing to flourish and is continuing to grow. Guys, that says a lot right there. That says so much about our God, that he is so sovereign, that despite the circumstances, despite whatever the enemy tries to throw at him, it's just like, like water off a duck's back. And he, it's not stopping his agenda. And that's so encouraging for us to hold on to recognize that, guys, no matter what happens in your life, and let me tell you, believers, even in the bad, 
Nothing is going to stop God's will from being accomplished in this world. Nothing. That should give you a sense of confidence and hope that we were talking about, the living hope that we have. Why? Because he's just that guy. He's just that guy, never thwarted, never frustrated. He ain't worried about it. God's not losing sleep, neither should you in that sense. And so that's pretty cool. But you know what we also see in this uh, progress report? We see an ancient Jewish principle, all right, applied and continue showing us that this isn't just an, a Jewish principle, but this is true of who God is. And here is the principle, ready? It's this, that God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Anybody familiar with that verse? Maybe online. If uh, God gives grace, or let me, say, let me say the other part first, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. This is what we see in this story. This is why I wanted to keep going and include the bottom of that progression there. As random as it was to say, yeah, he died by worms and these guys are out here doing their thing. As weird as that is, it's important, okay? And so we're going to look at that principle today that God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble in order to figure out how to be able to grow close to our faith. So here's strike one, ready? So I told you there's gonna be three strikes. The first strike we're gonna talk about is how King Herod was struck. See what I did there? Okay, I promise, it's the last one, last corny dad joke, but it goes there, all right? So you're gonna, this is where the, the striking comes from. There's three people that were struck. The first one we're gonna look at is King Herod. Okay, King Herod was struck by the angel of the Lord and was eaten by worms and died. Question. Did God just commit murder? Did God just sanction violence against this man? I'm going to answer that question in a few minutes, all right? So I'm just going to let that linger. But let's look at this for a minute. So what is the situation, right? The key thing was around that phrase that the people were saying. What were the people telling about King Herod, guys? That he was what? This is the voice of a what, did they say? Right? The voice of a God, not a voice of a man. So are they worshiping him as God? Maybe. The scripture, the text doesn't tell us that specifically. All we know is what they said. Now, we do know that people back then would worship kings and royalty and emperors, uh, you know, things like that. They would worship them as God, like pharaohs, right? We know that. So could this be? Maybe. But again, the detail that Luke gives us about the fact that they bribed King Herod's uh, assistant, you know, key figure, Blastus, says a lot about the motivation here. And also Josephus tells us that the same people who were celebrating him in his life right there, five days later after he died, they were celebrating his death. So um, these guys aren't upset that their God just died in front of them. You know, actually that's what happened. He got sick and for five days suffered terrible stomach pains and died at the end of the fifth day. And so the fact that we know historically that they celebrated his death kind of gives us enough of a hint to say, um, maybe not everybody was as genuine, right? Maybe they were worshiping him as God. Maybe they weren't, all right? Which also tells us a lot right there, guys. Listen, as believers and Christians, and even as a human being, do we not know that it's a good thing to encourage each other? Yes or no? Right? As married couples, don't you like being encouraged? You know, hey, baby, that's doing, you know, doing a great job. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. You know, it's great to be encouraged. We all know that's a very basic thing. But these guys weren't encouraging King Herod. They were hyping him up. Oh, it's the voice of a god and not a man. I mean, he's out there in his bedazzled, uh, you know, robe too. And that wasn't probably helping. But here's the thing. Be careful when people overhype you up. Because, uh, you know, maybe they don't uh, necessarily want to encourage you. Maybe they want to get something out of you. All right? Because these people were trying to manipulate King Herod this whole time. Because why? Self-preservation. They're trying to manipulate the king to get what they want. I'm going to touch on that one later. 
They're trying to manipulate the king to get what they want. And so they'll tell him whatever they want, even worship him in order to get a full belly. So be careful when people hype you up, guys. Just saying. All right, parents, we all know we can sniff it when the kids start acting a kind of way. I'm like, stop. All right. It was like because they start talking you a kind of way. Right. Husbands too, wives. Right? You know, when you start talking and buttering up that other person, what do you want? All right. And so we know what that's like. And so that's what King Herod, that's what these people do. But instead, King Herod uh, just fed into it. Right. Why did the angel of the Lord strike King Herod? Because it said he did not give glory to God. Rather, what was he doing? Basking in the glory himself. This guy's not even a man. This is a God. Oh, you bet I am. That's what he did in his royal bedazzled robe, right? That's what he did. He's out there and he, that is, oh gosh, I cannot find another picture better than what Jesus talked about when he said, when Jesus talked about these Pharisees as being whitewashed tombs. I don't know if you've ever read the story, but there was one time that Jesus, when he was alive, he was talking to these religious Jewish leaders that were there. And these Pharisees, they prided themselves on knowing the word better than anyone else. They prided themselves on obeying it better than anyone else. Oh, and by the way, they always love to wear the best of the best. These guys would actually wear their priestly robes outdoors. You weren't supposed to do that according to the law. That's a big no-no. You were supposed to worship the Lord and do your thing, but they're out here out in their royal robes because they want everybody to see, look who I am. Look, I'm a priest. I'm a this. And people would hype them up and give them everything. And then these guys were rich, very well off. And they were the epitome of this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when God blesses an individual that is worthy of it. Again, all I can imagine is just wrestlers, just, just, Look at me. This is what they did. All right, Randy Orton, there you go for you. All right, so um, that's all they did. They did those things. And so, and Jesus said, you guys look great on the outside and everyone looks at the outside and sees, wow, but you're nothing but a whitewashed tomb. All right, think of a mausoleum. Anybody ever been to a mausoleum in a cemetery? You know, you've seen them in, in movies and stuff like that. A mausoleum is, is there either can be a big wall, right, of marble in which, you know, people are placed inside of there, or there's these structures, individual structures, right? Um, what's the one uh, movie, the other Hispanic Disney movie, Not Encanto, Coco, okay, right? And so uh, Ernesto de la Cruz, he's in a mausoleum, right? Things like that. So you see these things where it's this beautiful structure, gorgeous on the outside. I mean, they glisten in the sun, but what's inside rotting bones it looks amazing but inside it's dead the pharisees you look great on the outside but you're dying on the inside king herod a shiny shining in the sun looked great had money power respect had it all but he was literally being eaten alive dying from the he was rotting from the inside out eaten by worms and died And so, see, that's the thing, guys, when we look at that, that's what pride does. Pride likes to hide all your imperfections. Pride likes to be able to say, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, when in reality, you're not. And pride, especially before God, literally, it's you hide everything. That's what pride likes to do. It likes to hide, and it keeps you away from God. And so, remember the the principle that we're looking at. When we look at King Herod, which is the first person struck, we're looking at the idea that God resists the proud, right? God resists the proud. That is found not only in the New Testament. James actually talks about this. Jesus' half-brother, who was the pastor of Jerusalem around this time. James quotes Old Testament scripture. So this is, again, showing you guys, listen, when you see Old New Testament guys pointing to the Old 
It shows you that this is bigger than just a religion. This is a truth statement of who God is. And so the fact that James is pulling from the old is in quoting, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble matters for us today. And so here's the thing, guys. When God resists the proud, what is he doing? I'm going to help you with this. You know what he's doing? Nothing. Because if God gives grace to the humble, what is he doing? He's giving grace. But if God is resisting the proud, what is he doing? He's doing nothing, right? I know we've all been there. You've all had that moment. You in a group, right? And uh, you wanted to say something, but you bit your tongue. I mean, no, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I'll tweet about it later, but I'm not going to say it, right? You ever done one of those? Like you just bit your tongue, like you want to say something, but you're not. And you know this, or you've ever, you want to do something, but you know you're not. So what do you do? You re resist. You resist doing the thing that you want to do. Well, you know what? God resists the proud. He's not doing anything to you. He's just stopping. Meaning he wants to work in your life. He wants to do things to help you, to grow, to show you. But a prideful person literally tells God, nah, God, I'm good. No, thank you. That's what a prideful person does. So then God says, okay. It's literally it. A prideful person is someone who is telling literally, God, leave me alone. That's what Job actually talks about in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Old Testament. Job, talking about the people, the prideful people of God, he actually says, and the people tell God, leave me alone. That's what a prideful person does. I want to run things. I want to decide. Let me be God. Leave me alone. And so then God stops doing something. If you want to be God, then you know what God's going to do? Then I'm not going to be God for you then. You're on your own. But not in a petty way, because that's what you want. He's giving you what you want. Y'all follow me on that? When he resists the proud, it's because you're telling him, no, thank you. And so God then obliges. And so here we see him struck, and he is eaten by worms and dies. So again, I asked you a question a minute ago. Did God commit murder just now? Did God sanction violence? Because it almost sounds like God's a petty God. I was like, oh, wait a minute. You're not reflecting the worship. They're worshiping you like God and you're not reflecting me. All right, I see you. Ah, right from heaven down there. I'm like, no, okay. He didn't do that. God is not a petty God that reacted out of emotionalism. Here's what happened. Again, for God to, for God to resist, that means he has to stop doing it. So when Herod was worshipped as God, then he's like, huh, I don't need you, God, anymore. I'm good. I got this from here. And there it was. And so I'm going to show you also in a minute ago how I know for a fact that God did not, cannot be blamed for his murder. I'm going to show you by the end of the day. So that's strike number one. We see that God resists the proud. He resists the proud. He does not work in your life. And so I mentioned a minute ago, if you feel far from God, it's probably because you told God, no, thank you. That's literally it. Anytime you feel far from God, it's because you say, God, no, thank you. I got it from here. And by the way, interesting that we talked about prayer last week as being consistent. You know what a prayerless life looks like? You know what a prayerless life is saying? When you don't pray to God on a regular, get ready. Some of y'all got to just kind of brace yourself for this one. All right. If you don't pray regularly, you're telling God, I got it from here. Did I hurt your feelings? I hope I did. Okay. Um, Y'all caught me on that? If you don't pray, it's because you're saying, God, I don't need you. I think I got this. You know, if it's an emergency or something, you know, hopefully just, you know, answer me when I got you. But uh, I got it from here. That's what a prayerless life looks like. 
And then God's not going to work in your life because he's going to resist. Why? Because that's what you want him to do. Because you live in like that. You see? But what is the opposite though, guys? What does the opposite say? God gives grace to the humble. I'm sorry, he, he resists the proud, but he does what? He gives grace. So let's look at strike two now. Let's look at strike two and look at that grace. What is grace? Let's define stuff. I like giving y'all definitions because that way every time you see it, you know the next time. Grace literally is just God's hand in your life. Right. If God resisting is him doing nothing, God's grace is him doing something. And his grace is your unmerited favor. You don't deserve this. He's being extra doing this for you because he loves you. That's his grace. He's compensating for all the things that you can't do, whether if it's your strength or wisdom or this or that. He is his grace is what gives us life and leads us to live. But in order to experience the grace of God, what do you got to be, guys? Humble. What does humble look like? Well, let's talk about that. So I told you strike one was King Herod, right? And strike two, let's look at the second person who was struck. But in that moment, at the very end, when we saw Barnabas and Paul and they're out there doing their thing, what do we see? We see God's hand and we see God's grace, right? Barnabas, Paul, John Mark, these guys humble themselves, put their trust in God. And guys, I want you to know, I know we read that very casually because they were in Antioch a couple of weeks ago. We were reading this and the church in Antioch, third largest, third largest city in Rome, third largest city in Rome. And the church was growing and exploding and they're hearing about the violent persecution in Jerusalem. So what do these non-Jewish brothers, what do these non-Jewish Christians do? They collect an offering to go help their Jewish brothers and sisters. I love that. I love that when they do that. And so when Paul and Barnabas, guys, they're bringing some change. I'm telling you, look, back then, obviously, you guys, you can't PayPal an individual. It's like, yo, hey, James, what's your cash app? I got you, right? You can't do that. You can't wire things from Western Union. No, you got to bring it. And it's different. And to be able to travel with large amounts of money was, that was not done. And here Barnabas and Paul are risking a lot, doing the impossible. That was a very difficult task. We read it today like, eh, but this was huge. And notice that King Herod is violently persecuting the church, but did Barnabas and Paul fulfill their mission? Did they fulfill their mission according to scripture? Yes, they did. They gave them the money. They did what they needed to do. They picked up a new recruit called John Mark, and then they went back. Mission accomplished, easy peasy. Why? Because it was God's what? Grace. God's grace on their life to help them fulfill their mission. It was God's grace that helped them fulfill that purpose in that moment. And we see the same thing with Peter. He's the second guy who was struck. All right. So we talked about King Herod. The angel of the Lord struck King Herod and he what? Died. Um, those of us who were here last week, didn't that sound familiar? The angel of the Lord struck Peter. Same phrase, same verb, same analogy, but different result because Peter was struck and did he die? No. Peter was struck and he lived. The Bible says, and we just read, Luke was telling us on how he was struck by the angel and he woke up, got up and he, God led him out, right? He was in maximum security prison and it was a miracle on how he was released. Again, doesn't that look like the grace of God, the miraculous grace of God in his life? Why? Because Peter humbled himself even unto death. Guys, I, this was so good. I don't even know if I really said it well, but I think it's just good to review and reflect on this. Guys, what would you do if you knew that you were in trial, that you were found guilty of whatever, and then the next day you were going to die? How would you sleep? Forget even what I just said. How would you, how would you sleep tonight if you knew tomorrow was going to be your last day? How would you sleep? 
Some of you, you wouldn't, all right? You wouldn't sleep. You're gonna do, you're gonna try to cram in a whole life of bucket list stuff over the next 12 hours, right? That's what you're gonna do. You're gonna spend time with whomever or whatever. Are you, can we be real? Who would sleep well that night if you knew the next day you were gonna die? Guarantee you, none of us. But Peter, no, sorry, yeah, Peter was fast asleep in jail. Why? Because Peter knew they, they arrested James and they killed him. They've arrested me, more than likely I'm gonna die. Why am I gonna die? because I'm out here being a faithful witness, telling people about Jesus, being the son of God and the Messiah, the forgiveness of our sins. You know what? I know that tomorrow, when I take my last breath, my next one's gonna be in the presence of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you know what? I'm gonna sleep good tonight. Could you imagine having that peace and that confidence? How did Peter have that? Because he humbled himself even to God's plan. God, if this is your, if this is your plan for my life to die in this way, so be it. I, it will be an honor to live for you in this way. Wow. And so the angel of the Lord struck him, but he didn't die. He lived. He lived to tell another, you know, he lived to, to you know, fight another day. And, you know, he writes more scriptures. We see first and second Peter later and some, something else. And God does more things in his life. But that's what happens, guys, is look, that the grace of God is on you when you humble yourself and you ask God to recognize, Lord, I need you. I depend on you. Then he's like, okay, I got you. The prideful person, he says, God, I don't need you. He's like, okay, you're on your own. But the humble person says, God, I need you. He's like, all right, I got you. That's the difference there. And it all is based on how we respond to God. But that's only strike two. What about strike three? I told you, baseball, three strikes, and we're going to figure out how to grow closer to God. Strike one, who was struck? King Herod. Strike two, who was struck? Peter. Who's the third? Well, the third was the first one to be struck. And the only reason why you and I can experience the grace of God, which is God's saving grace and God's grace in our life is because Jesus was struck on a cross. He was the one who was struck first. And that's the biggest reason. Jesus was on the cross and was struck by the wrath of God so that we can find life. He humbled, the scripture says, he humbled himself even to point of death on the cross. And now he has been exalted and given the name that is above every name because no one has humbled himself the way that he did for all. He humbled himself for all of us. That's why his name is above all of us because that's what he did. He was struck. Now I want you to even imagine this. We talked about the angel of the Lord striking Peter, striking Herod. There was an angel in the book of Genesis that had a sword. Anybody remember the story if you've ever heard of this? Back when Adam and Eve, they, they, they sinned against God. And by the way, that was more than just saying, gay, don't eat my food. And, you know, uh, they, they did that, right? This is not like, you know, a parent punishing a kid. I'm thinking, I told you not to eat that. Now you ruin your appetite. Does that even work? But anyways, um, I guess so. So that's not that at all. They committed high treason against God. Because when they ate of the fruit, they believed what the serpent told them. And what did the serpent tell them? You can be just like God. He's holding out on you. You see how it fed into their significance and it, they fed their pride, right? You can be just like him, but he doesn't want that. He's holding out. And so when Eve ate the fruit, she's like, I don't need God to be God. Y'all follow me? She ate that. 
And then Adam was not deceived. The scripture says he knew what happened, but he was prideful and selfish in the sense of I'd rather die with my bride than live with my Lord. That's the decision he chose. So Adam and Eve both fell. And what did the scripture says? That God drove them out of the garden. Why? Because there was a tree of life there that they could not access. And if and this would be a perpetual situation for them, a disconnect. And the scripture says there was an angel set at the gate with a flaming sword guarding the way meaning no one could enter if you wanted to go to the tree of life you were going to get cut down because there's no way you can't an unholy person cannot draw near to a holy god and they would be struck down but you know what happens see that's what jesus did i believe that's what jesus did see jesus went and died on the tree of knowledge of good and evil so you and i can have access to the tree of life again that's what he did. He took that hit from the angel so that access and relationship can be restored back to God. He is the why, guys. He is the why that the scripture says that God gives grace to the humble. Why? Because of what he has done ultimately. And so that's the why. But then what's the how then, guys? Let me help you with that. What's the how? So if humbling myself is how I get the grace of God, it's why. Well, then how does that look like? So now can we put the verse up? Let's look at James. James is, he, he quotes the Old Testament scripture. And James, he says, right, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So, like, I, I wish I was there to even hear James do it. Like, even verbally say it. Like, this isn't rocket science, guys. You know, do you want to be broke for your whole life? Or do you want, uh, you know, do you want a million dollars every day in your bank account? Which one do you want? Yeah, you know, obviously, though, you want the money. You don't want to be broke. You'd rather have the money. So he's saying if God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble, so humble yourself. Like this isn't hard. This isn't rocket science. But notice he actually explains how humbling looks like. Let's, re let's read it. He says here, therefore, this is what humbling looks like. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Now, the devil means everything wrapped up with the devil, meaning lies, darkness, everything that is anti-God. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify you hearts, you double-minded. Speaking of what you believe. Be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself, verse 10, before the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't you feel like all that was a little unnecessary? Couldn't if he just said, if God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, so humble yourself and he will exalt you. No, see, he wanted to make sure, look what humble yourself looks like. Guys, that whole thing, sometimes we read them in excerpts. Has anyone ever read that in a paragraph and has looked at it as a whole? We're going to do it right now. This is what humbling yourself looks like, literally. Uh, I, gotta, I can't take credit for this, so I'm going to uh, pass this off to David Jeremiah. Um, Marilyn loves David Jeremiah. And uh, this, I love his uh, remix here when he says, this is what humbling looks like. It talks about submitting to God means you relinquish control of your life. Again, you're saying, God, I'm not God. You, that's you. And but to submit to God is not just to submit to his authority. It's also to submit to the authority of Christ. It is to recognize that Christ is Lord and Savior and God. That you can't submit to God if you're going to reject that truth. 
Okay? So it's re- relinquish the control of your life and then resist the lies. Now, guys, I want you to know you're not called to fight the devil. That's a losing battle. Don't even bother. Okay? Never do we see that, you know, the devil's out here to fight you and me and he's picking fights with all of us. That, it doesn't work that way. When he says resist the devil, he's saying resist everything that he stands against and stands for. The lies of the enemy, the, the you know, forces of darkness. And resisting is literally doing nothing but resisting the lie. Resist the lie and submit to the truth. That's really the beginning there. When you, you submit to the truth of God, resist the lie of the enemy. And what does it say? That the enemy will run from you because he's scared of you. I'm like, what is no, listen, the enemy's not scared of you. He's scared of the God in you. That's a little different, all right? He's not scared of you. He's scared of the God in you. But again, this all this speaks of is when you submit to the truth of God and you resist the enemy, he runs like a defeated foe. Game over. He's lost. Do you see what that is? That's what that means. That's what that means. But he keeps on going. It doesn't stop there. This is saving grace. This is what happens when you're saved, but he doesn't stop there. He then talks about to draw near to God, draw near to, draw near to God, he draws near to you. You know what he's saying there? He's talking about restoring a relationship. This isn't just saying, all right, God, thanks, you got me back. All right, cool, so I just come running at you right when I need some help, right? You good? You got me back? No, this is now you pursue this God. You get to know him. Notice that you draw near to him. He draws near to you. Pursue a God who's already trying to pursue a relationship with you. Do you guys see that? Because he's made the first move. This is like the husband that's on his knees and made the proposal. It's on you to be able to say yes, right? That's the same thing. God has made his move. It's up to you to be able to say yes. So you, this is what humbling looks like. You're submitting to the truth. You're resisting the lies. You're pursuing God in a relationship. You are renouncing sinful actions. When he says cleanse your hands, hands always means the sins of your hand. Guys, how many things do we do with these and don't do with these that we should and shouldn't? All right. And actions, this is mean the, your whole situation, just so you know, hands are all of it. And so humbling yourself, recognizing God, there's external sins, external actions, things that I'm doing with my body that I'm, I'm being convicted of. I shouldn't do it. Help me. Cleanse me of these things. Purify your heart now speaks of the internal, the internal sins, the things that you don't do on the outside, but you feel and think on the inside, right? That because all sin is down in here. It's in the root of it in your heart. And so it is uh, rejecting the sin, your sinful attitudes. And then look at this, reacting towards sin with sorrow. Guys, with sorrow, was that weird to be able to say, hey, mourn and weep and don't let your mourning be turned to laughter? Doesn't that sound weird? That sounds a little awkward, but what is he saying? What he's telling us, like saying, listen, your attitude towards sin shouldn't be, yeah, you know, and I know my kind of social media is a little, uh, little, little, little sketchy and stuff, but uh, yeah, I think I can do better. You know, this is, like, you know, I, know I kind of have a little temper tantrum. I kind of lose it here from time to time. You know, I got a little, you know, maybe addiction, but you know, it's not that bad. No, when he says, when you see sin, this isn't like an oops. When you see sin, you recognize This is like, again, what happens, guys, if you found yourself and you did something that hurt the person you love most? How would you feel? How would you feel? What happens if you even didn't mean to do it? Guys, I know I've done that. There's been times when I've said things and I didn't mean it. You know, I'm verbally processing something and I say something to my wife and and it came out wrong. Anybody done one of those? Right? I've done that. I've done plenty of those where I've said it and I didn't mean it that way, but it kind of sounded that way. And now here I am doing damage control, right? I'm skating on ice trying to fix this, but it's a little too late, you know? Ugh. It, it, it hurts to know when you hurt someone you love, when, especially when you didn't even mean to, right? 
But here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. That's what sin does. When you see sin, you should see it as you doing something to not just somebody you love, but to somebody who genuinely loves you, who genuinely loves you. And so when he says, let your mourning, don't even turn to laughter, meaning don't be flippant about this. Don't be casual. No, you, this is the very sin, guys, is that Jesus had to be crucified on the cross for. This ain't a game. Y'all track, tracking with me? This isn't a game. Sin is not just an oops. This is huge. And that's what it should be. Humbling yourself should recognize, I can't believe this is who I am or what I've done. As a Christian, it should still bother you, the little leftover sin that still remains. I'm telling you now, you should be frustrated that I can't believe I'm still this selfish. But praise God that he still loves me. You see that? Like that's the, the, the beauty of it there. But he's saying all of these things. And so humble yourself in this way. And what did the scripture says? And he will exalt you. You know what that means? He means lift you up. And so if you humble yourself in this way, he's not going to leave you wallowing and groveling at his feet. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see what you did to me. I was like, yeah, feel it. I want you to. No, man, God's not trying. He doesn't want us to do that. He will exalt us, meaning he will pick you up out of sin. He will pick you up out of your darkness. He will pick you up out of your depression. When you humble yourself to him, he helps you. He helps you with all of those things. That's what it means. He, when you humble yourself, he helps you. But that's the point, guys. We got to be willing to do that. Do you not notice? And by the way, I'm going to stop. I'm going to talk to Christians for a minute. This is especially for you. This is, we don't just humble ourselves when we ask Jesus to be Lord and Savior. Jesus, you know, forgive me of my sins and then move it on. This is a, you keep doing that in a different way. Do you not, never uh, have a process why Jesus himself said, hey, pray in this way. Our Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Whose kingdom? Your kingdom come. Whose will? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning God, notice that that's the beginning of your prayers. You got to pray that at the beginning because even us, our selfishness, we pray very selfishly, right? Instead of saying, God, what do you want for my life? This is what I want. This is what I want. And so the will of God is an important thing. That's what it means to humble yourself to his authority, to his will. Three times Jesus says, and he modeled this while he prayed on the cross, well, on the cross, in the garden before he got crucified, what did Jesus pray three times? God, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus modeled that before us. Guys, let me, let me give you a danger. Here's a warning for some of you, ready? If you're not praying and living, God, not my will, but yours be done, God's response to you is this not my will, then yours be done. Y'all follow me on that? That's what God does. If you don't pray and live, God, not my will, but yours, God's going to say, okay, well, not my will then, then yours be done. And guys, when you and I desire our will over God's will, we are undone. We are undone. It's not going to end well. But when we desire God's will in our life, then the work of the enemy is undone in our life. When we desire his will and walk in his will, the work of the enemy is undone in our life. And so your next question ought to be, well, then what is his will then, man? Just tell me. All right, I got you. Ready? I'm glad you asked. So here's the will of God. You know what God's will for your life? It's easy. He said it plain as day. He says in his will, my will for you is for everybody to be saved. That's it. That's not what I want, man. I want to know, should I get this job? Should I move here? Should I date this person? Should I marry that? Should I go to school here? That's the will that I want. Well, what good is it if you got your dream job, your dream house, and your dream girl, but you're going to live a nightmare in eternity for the rest of your life? What good is all of that? So God's not, he doesn't care about those things, and he's not going to answer those prayers unless 
His ultimate will is fulfilled in your life and that you have trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior. Y'all following me? That's what matters. Now, once that is done, because that is his will for all of you. And now the other will is the particular will. That's the in-between, God's purpose and the decision and stuff like that. Well, that's the one I want, Pastor. Fine. So if I ask God to be Savior of my life, all right, then how do I know all the other things? Well, here you go. Here's my cheat code. You ready? I think I can be fairly safe to say this is a cheat code. You can't find a description necessarily spelled out, but I think it's a good summary. The more you grow, the more you know. The more you grow closer to God, the more you grow closer in his word, the more you grow in your relationship with God, the more your relationship is going to be so tight that he will help you. He'll help you know what decision to make, when and how. By the way, when to make it on his timing, not yours. And so y'all tracking? The more you follow and grow in your relationship with God, the more you will know what to do. And the spirit will give you the grace. Remember, what is it? God gives grace to the humble. So grace is saving grace, but it's also the same grace that saves you, same grace to sustain you. And it's the grace that will help you to make those decisions and adjustments all throughout your life. This is what the grace of God is. And so guys, let me ask you, which one do you want? I'm going to ask you online, help me out. Which one do you want? If you know that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, which is the better option, A or B? All right. It's door number two, right? That's, that's it. This is not complicated. And we see it all throughout scripture and we see it all throughout history. It works the same way. And so my application, guys, is choose. I'm gonna do the same one that James did, choose. Let me ask you this question. How is the truth striking you? Because this is all striking you at one point. I know I talk about three strikes, you're the fourth one. I just set you up, all right? You're the fourth one. How is the truth striking you now? Do you know that King Herod, by the way, was a Jew? Herod was a Jew. He grew up in the ancient Jewish scriptures. He heard it all. He heard and knew of the quotes when it said that God resists the proud and how pride comes before destruction and all those other proverbs and stuff. He knew these things, but you know what Herod did? In here, out the other, I'm not listening. I got this. Do you know who also did not respond to the truth that struck him? Judas. Isn't this crazy? I want you all to listen to this for a minute. Do you know that Judas, the guy who betrayed Jesus, Judas heard every sermon Jesus ever preached live and in person. Can you just think about that for a minute? Judas heard every sermon preached out of the mouth of Jesus for three years and yet still wasn't saved. Why? Did Jesus fail? In the high, you know, at, well, 11 out of 12, that's not bad stats. No, that's, that's not the case. Did Jesus do something different for the 11 and something different for Judas? No, same message. How come 11 got saved and one didn't? Because 11 humbled themselves to the truth of who God was and believed and put their trust in Christ. Judas was exposed. Judas was using Jesus as his meal ticket. He knew, I thought that he was wanted to use Jesus for his entryway into a kingdom, into a position of power and money. He didn't love Jesus. He could care less if Jesus loved him. He was just in it for the ride to get what he wanted. Just like the people, just like Herod. There was a bunch of people just getting what they want. So same truth, different results. And that's why I wanted to say for a minute, guys, same striking. The angel of the Lord struck Peter. The angel of the Lord struck Herod. And, it, it, you know, the angel didn't come down for Peter because he's a believer and go, all right, Peter, just went. You know, give him a little, little, little love tap strike. And when it comes to Herod, literally just a missile, boom, you know, no, those are two different strikes. No, no, no. See, this verbiage is the same strike, same action. 
He hit Peter the same way he hit Herod. Why was it a different result? Well, let me give you a quote and see if this helps you, all right? This is from Vance Havner from Jesus Only. I want you to use your imagination here, okay? No images. I want you to pick the illustration and put it in, burn it in your brain. Let it never be forgotten that although we may do nothing about the word of God, meaning you can hear God's word and you do nothing about it, that's optional. But know that the word of God will always do something to you. You may not do something with it, but the word will always do something to you. Watch this. Picture this in your mind. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The same word of God humbles or hardens the human heart. So I said a minute ago, can you blame Jesus? Did Jesus commit violence against King Herod? No, he didn't. Because how can you get two different results from the same action? It's because of their molecular makeup, their spiritual makeup. Again, this, can you blame the sun for hardening clay yet melting ice? Can you blame the sun? It's the same sun. It's the same thing. Why is it two different results though the same action? Their molecular makeup was different. And so let me just tell you, this is good news. Some of you guys are hearing my word and online, I might not see you, but I know the spirit does and God does. Some of you guys are hearing these words and you're melting in God's presence. Your heart is melting. You're recognizing. And you're, you're seeing even your own pride probably still. I'm shining lights and the, the enemy's shining. Well, the angel, the Holy Spirit's showing you. Even now, striking a light inside. Yeah, you still got some pride issues, bro. You still got some this. You still got some that. But your heart is melting before the Lord. I know it. Some of you are hearing this and your heart is melting. Some of you, and I'm not naive, and I'm not naive, and I'm not even judging faces because I know I can't do that. Because King Herod looked great on the outside, but was dying on the inside. So I can't even judge your physical reactions. But I'm not naive to know that some of you are probably hearing all these words and uh, your, heart, your heart is hardening. You're hardening towards God. Oh, this is great, but you're going to do nothing about it. Listen, let me just warn you. The more you reject God, the easier it gets. And the easier you reject God, the more numb you're going to be to his voice. And you can't blame God. It's our reaction to it. And then same way, guys, but the more you humble yourself towards God, the closer you go, the more you sense and feel and appreciate his love, the more you get to know him and the more it shapes you and gives you life. The same is true of the opposite. And I can't stand here and say, because I know I have a limit. My same message today is melting some hearts and hardening others. And, and the ones who are being hardened, I can't do anything for you at that point. There's nothing that I can do because it is the way it is being received. And so, guys, that is something that I want you guys to understand that even, and this is the cool part, because even for some of us that may have the most hard of hearts, you know what God does and says? In, the, in Scripture, he says, I will take your, your uh, heart of stone and I will turn it over into a brand new real heart of flesh. So even if your heart is hardened towards God, it's not over until either he die, you die or he returns. Because God can do that kind of a miracle. But even then, it takes a breaking. Even then, it takes a submitting. You can't do that in and of yourself. It is only your response to him. And so the scripture says, right, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee, right? You guys know it works the other way? If you submit to evil, you're going to find yourself resisting God. And then God is going to separate himself from you. It's really not even you separating yourself. No, let me say it better. He's not going to separate himself from you. You're going to walk away from him. If you, if you submit to evil and resist the hand of God, you're just going to drift away. And yet, even in the drifting, God will still pursue you. But you're the one who's moving, not him.
but if you submit to God and you will find yourself resisting the lies, resisting trusting in yourself, resisting your pride and selfishness, then it will flee and you will draw near and closer to the loving arms of your heavenly father. That is the options, guys, that we have. That is the options that we have. And so when, when he says, when uh, James says at the beginning, at the end, he says, humble yourself and he will do what? Exalt you, which means he will help you. He will lift you up out of darkness, out of shame, out of all of these things. But you know what? That is, the job is not done though, because for all who humble themselves and exalt God, there is still one thing left for you to do. Exalt him. Exalt the one who humbled himself on the cross, the one who was struck so that you can be saved. And to exalt, guys, means to make much of him, make more of him than of you. That's all that means. So if you humble yourself to God, he will exalt you, but then it requires you to exalt him. You want to exalt him. Look to him. Do not be like these people. And I'm going to end with this last one. Do not be like the people of Tyre and Saddam, because what did they do to the king? They wanted to bribe their way and flatter their way into the good graces of the king so they could eat from the king's country, eat from the king's table. You see what they did? They tried to bribe their way and they tried to flatter their way into right standing with the king. And there's a lot of people who still do that today. They think that they can work their way and flatter false praise and get in right relationship with the king of kings. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. But once you humble yourself to this God, he will exalt you, save you. And guys, the same grace that saved you can sustain you. And if he's exalted you, there's only one left thing, one more thing for you to do, and that's exalt him. So again, how is that truth striking you? Listen, let me just warn you, okay? Let me warn you not to be like the people of Tyre and Saddam. Because what did they do? They tried to bribe their way into good standing with the king and they tried to flatter their way into receiving a blessing. Listen, there are some people, you, if, if, you, if you made it this long, then I'm, I'm assuming you didn't harden your heart to the truth. If you've made it this long in the sermon today. But let me just warn you though, the ultimate response, humbling yourself and exalting God must be sincere. Because the people, when it came to King Herod, they exalted the king in a prideful way still. And I want you to know that that's the one thing I want you to avoid, exalting God in a prideful way. Don't flatter him. Don't praise his name. Don't try to live a certain way just so you can humble yourself so you can get something from the king. No, enjoy the king. Enjoy him. He is the rewarder, but he is also the reward. That is what it means to exalt him, guys. Let me challenge you, enjoy God. Pursue the miracle maker over the miracle, all right? Pursue his heart over his hand. When you do, you get both in the way that he determines it. But I wanna challenge you, keep exalting him. Humble yourself and let him work in your heart.